Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. David Eichholz, Sean Bach, HawkeyeInsider.com, part of 24-7 Sports. I just got back from Minneapolis probably not even five minutes ago, but uh, we are about to finally react to last night's very... I would say unconventional Iowa win, Sean, but there's no such thing as a conventional Iowa win. I think the last two seasons we've kind of seen about everything and Iowa winning in just the strangest of ways. And Iowa 13 to 10 over Minnesota. We knew it was going to be a low scoring spectacular. Uh, 200, I think 69 rushing yards, 39 carries. Did what not a lot of teams can do against Iowa, but, and we'll, we'll talk about this later on too, Sean, but Jack Campbell, I mean, I, he, I put in my first impressions, it's legendary status. He's already among the best linebackers of the Kirk Ferentz era, but to force two critical turnovers late in the game and to be able to do what he did, this team just finds a way to win. And now with Michigan beating Illinois, Sean, they're one Black Friday went away from going back to Indy for a second straight year. Yeah, it's absolutely wild. Um, we knew that the Big Ten West was going to be a crapshoot this year, no doubt about it. We I predict that I think I said with our guys at, at the uh, our other 24-7 sports publishers in the Big Ten West, I mentioned to them at Media Day, and they agreed with me that the Big Ten West would pro- – the winner would probably have three losses. I didn't think there would be four because four kind of just seems like a big a big number, but three is was what I said it at, and, you know, we're about as close as we could get to that. And it's just – incredible to see how it's happened not only with the way because i mean illinois was they had it in the bag they they had it in the bag yeah i was gonna say another term but that was not appropriate for the podcast (laughs) but they had it in the bag and to see that the losses they've had i mean that michigan state loss is looking horrible right now especially with the way the spartans choked away yesterday's game against indiana um and the michigan loss i mean i i tip my hat to Illinois on that one. They had Michigan. They had plenty of chances to win that football game. But when you're on the road in Ann Arbor, Brett Belima put it best, you're playing against a hundred thousand you're playing against a hundred thousand people and a few more, um, talking about the officials and obviously a couple of really close calls. You ne- you never want to put the refs in position to decide the game, but that's yeah. what Illinois did by not being able to put the ball in the end zone later on in, you know, the fourth quarter and for parts of the second half. So, yeah, I mean, a little help from Illinois um, losing and then Purdue obviously losing last – or Purdue beating Illinois last week um, was a big help for Iowa and obviously with the struggles Wisconsin's had and 
Minnesota shooting itself in the foot here and there. It's it's wild to think the the change in just the mood and just the I guess vibe of the program and vibe of the fan base in yeah. like a month's span. Like if you would have told me, you know, after that Ohio State game that Iowa would be one Black Friday win went away from playing in the Big Ten championship for the second straight year, I would have told you you were freaking nuts. Because with the way things were looking, yes, the defense was great. But, I mean, if you look back at some of those games, I mean, outside of the Michigan-Ohio State games, I think a lot of people kind of expected that to be the case. Like, with those games, yeah, they just didn't – Iowa didn't know how to win football games at the start of the year. I mean, you look at Iowa State, just kind of seemed like they were playing not to win against Illinois, kind of the same way. But against Minnesota and even Wisconsin, like it just looked like Iowa was – or even Purdue too. It just looked like Iowa was playing to win. And if you play yeah. a sport or you kind of followed sports for a while, you know what I'm talking about. No no question, Sean. And, I mean, I didn't think Iowa was going to be bowl eligible this year after the Ohio State game. I mean, I, I here's the thing. I know the players are celebrating. They should. I mean, there's two separate things. But you, you really can't blame anybody for thinking Iowa was dead in the water after Ohio State. There was just no tangible signs of progress. But, again, Kirk Ferentz responds. And I think the big thing about yesterday's game, Sean, is two things stuck out. One, no penalties. It's the first time in an FBS game since 1986 that there was no penalties in the game. Now, I think there are a number of missed calls, obviously. Uh, I think the officials wanted to get out of there without frostbite. I can't blame them because it was absolutely freezing cold. But, two – Kirk outcoached Fleck. No questions about it. Kirk outcoached P.J. Fleck. And by the way, I got to give a lot of credit to Brian Ferentz. I thought the first quarter especially, he called a great, great script for the first quarter. The tight end screen in the middle went for 50-plus yards, at 33-yard pass and the end of the game that set the 21-yard field goal. I thought it was a fantastic play call as well. So I thought Iowa did some different things. I was surprised how much they threw the ball yesterday, Sean. But I think, again, Petrus made some plays yesterday. I think specifically on that fourth and two, he stepped up, avoided the tackler, and just threw a little flick out to Laporta. And that was mm-hmm. a huge, huge play in that game, you know, in the game as well. But Iowa just finds a way to win. But there was a point yesterday, Sean, where it was during the Mohammed Ibrahim when he fumbled it. By the way, he had 14 carries in one drive. <laughs> just, that's crazy that's unbelievable but the 14th is too many jack campbell forced the fumble deontay craig seems like we're saying his name week after week as well comes up with the fumble recovery huge play for iowa there but that that drive sean i think somebody in our message board put it but this is exactly what i was thinking during the game it reminded me of that 2015 big 10 title game with michigan state where michigan state took 10 11 minutes drove down the field and punched it in the end zone. I thought that's exactly what was going to happen. And I got that kind of feeling that, you know, at that point where, you know, I was going to lose this game. And then once they went three and out with Jack Campbell, I'm like, there's no way Flex screws this up. But this is where I'm talking about Iowa outcoached PJ. Why didn't PJ run the ball? Kelly McManus hadn't thrown the ball, threw the ball three times in the second half. And you're going up against the best secondary or arguably the best secondary in the Big Ten. Riley Moss made a great play. Jack Campbell heads up. By the way, Jack Campbell scored. But they apparently blew yeah. the play dead, but he scored. 
everybody knows it. But Iowa ended up taking more time off the clock, which may have ultimately helped them. But 14 straight November wins. Kirk Ferentz, I thought, completely outclassed Fleck at the end. And, you know, Minnesota shot themselves in the foot, and Iowa made plays, especially Jack Campbell. Yeah, Iowa finished the game with 13 points. Their two longest drives, which happened to be – their two longest drives in terms of yardage, which happened to be the first two drives of the game. First one, five plays, 59 yards, two minutes and six seconds. Second drive, 12 yards – or 12, 12 plays, six, six yards, six minutes, 19 seconds. Those were their two – and then they had the five-play, uh, 42-yard drive at the end of the game, which was the second-to-last drive, which set up the game-winning field goal. 13 points. Minnesota had drives of nine plays, 72 yards, five minutes, 13 seconds, touchdown. 11 plays, 73 yards, five minutes, 31 seconds, missed field goal. Eight plays, 76 yards, three minutes, 24 seconds, field goal. 16 plays, 88 yards, eight minutes, 52 seconds, fumble. And they only got 10 points. You look at those drives and you look at the yards, you think to yourself, that's 21, 24 points at a minimum. Yeah. But they just couldn't punch the ball in the end zone. And I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just not having – I mean, they have Brevin Spanford, however you say his name. Um, yeah, Span Spanford, uh, who is probably one of the better tight ends in the Big Ten with Sam Laporta. Couldn't really go to him that much. I think he only had two. He was targeted three times, had two catches um, for 12 yards. They just really didn't have much offensively. But, like, you have probably one of the more impactful running backs in the country at your disposal. And, yes, they used him a ton. But, man, it's just like this is where it comes back to the total yardage situation. I was talking with a few people today about it. And, you know, obviously on Twitter that's the big debate is, Total yards really seems like an under or an overrated stat when you take into account. Yes, total yards can help you in a game, but it's about timely scores and it's about executing. It's about you know doing doing your job when you need to do your job. And yes, like the total yardage may look sexier, but like Iowa, I mean Minnesota had three hundred twelve rushing yards. Iowa had they scored ten points. Yeah, that is just. That you're going down the I know like obviously this isn't how it works, but you're going down the field three times. Yeah. Like how do you not score, you know, more points? And Spencer Peter said at the beginning of the week too, and it really came down to this. It's like if we're gonna be if we're if we're gonna be on the plus side in the turnover margin, we're gonna be in really good shape. Iowa forced two turnovers, Minnesota didn't force any. And that's what I mean, Mo Ibrahim, that fumble, yeah. that was right deep in a pretty deep in Iowa's territory. The interception in Iowa's territory. So, get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May fifth. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. 
It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Timely, timely plays by the defense. And yes, I think the offense showed a little bit more. I mean, Luke Lachey, I think this would, I mean, he's had yeah. games before where he's broke out, but I think this is a game where a lot of people are like, oh yeah, once Laporta leaves, like we're going to be good with this dude. And then, so, especially I mean, getting Aston Ostranga in there too. Yeah, Brody Brecht, Brody Brecht had a good game as well. I thought some pretty big catches. Obviously, you would, would have liked to see Petrus connect with Nico Regani on some of those longer balls, but you know, what are you going to do there? I mean, the running game is what yeah. they had some timely runs, I think. I mean, Caleb had 21 yarder, LaShawn had a 17 yarder, but. And I mean, I guess Minnesota's rushing defense is pretty good too, but yeah, you would have just liked to see that come up a little bit more. And um, but man, I mean, th- Spencer Petras making the plays when he needed to make them. Those two throws, I mean, the two most important games or two of the most important plays of the game, the screen to Sam Laporta, and that worked out effectively. They had a good breakdown of it on TV where the edge came up and committed to sacking Petras instead yeah. of staying back in coverage. Which opened up that, which opened up that right hash for uh, for Laporta to get outside and make something happen, um, and then the throw down the seam to Luke Lachey to set up that field goal. I mean, two of the biggest plays of the game, and he made some pretty good throws on Saturday. I'll give him a lot of credit for that. I mean, the weather conditions. Yeah. I think everyone and their mother mentioned that the key in this game would be running the football, but I mean, Iowa won this game by throwing the ball downfield and really doing you know, what they needed to do with that. Petrus made wing plays at the end of the day, and that that's really what mattered. And I thought the ball to Nico Regani should have been caught. I know people have debated back and forth. I thought he put it right on the hands. But, look, it's so hard to catch the ball when it's that cold. I mean, the wind chill feels like it's below zero. I mean, it is what it is. But, you know, Caleb Johnson, I think, was dinged up a little bit. Sean, we didn't get an official update on him after the game, but that he's going to be a big key to attacking this Nebraska defense this week. We'll see what happens with Sam Laporta and Monty Padabam. I highly doubt they practice tomorrow. We're, we're probably not going to get them on, on Tuesday for media availability. But, you know, like you said, Luke Lachey might become that much more important to help clinch the Big Ten West. And we'll talk about this in our podcast this week too, Sean, but – how fitting is it for Petrus, who's absorbed every every ounce of criticism imaginable for his senior day? He has a shot at going to win the Big Ten West on his home field. I mean, that's a a crazy world we're living in as opposed to what it was about a month ago. But, you know, Petrus stayed the course. The defense stayed the course. The defense, by the way, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, I, yards aside, the fact that they continue to do what they do – Sean, I'm literally – we talk about this every week. I'm almost out of words to describe them. And I was talking to Chad Lysko, Kenny, Kenson Smith, Scott Docterman, and those guys going up to the press box after our interviews. And we just said, this is a case study. The last two years of Iowa football is such a case study. This will never happen again. There will never be another team in the history of the sport that wins the way Iowa does by finding a different way, by having – I mean, Sean, I was 130th in offense, and they're about to win – they could potentially win eight games and go back to Indy for a Big Ten conference title. That's never supposed to happen. But, again, you mentioned the offensive yards being overrated. I know it's kind of a punchline because of where I was ranked, and I get you still have to be better. There's no question about it. 
But you could easily make an argument for that because that's how Iowa's won 17 games over these past two years. It's by being opportunistic and putting the ball in the end zone and points on the board when they have chances to do that instead of those no, long sustaining no. drives. No, go go for it. Yeah, no doubt. And I had I had one of my Minnesota buddies text me too. He goes, Iowa fans have no like just no understanding of how like special they have it. Like Iowa fans should really appreciate how special a special teams unit it has too. Because I mean we saw the missed field goal by Trickett for Minnesota. That ended up being huge. Iowa seemed to be perfect, nearly perfect, maybe a few missed tackles here and there on special teams. Drew Stevens coming up with those big field goals too. Special teams, man, like that plays a massive role in it too. Having all three phases, like Minnesota should have won this football game. But no doubt. Iowa coming up with those big plays on special teams too, I think, you know, proved a big point too and really – you know, put this team on top. Like, yes, winning in all three phases is important, but, you know, the game truly does come down to two or three plays. It's really amazing. Like, the game comes down to two or three plays, and I think a couple of those plays were on special teams too. Obviously, I mentioned the, yeah, you know, tip their hat to the Iowa defense for coming up with those takeaways. The offense are having those big plays downfield, but the Drew Stevens field goals, like, Every, I mean, everything plays into effect. Like, every play matters. And special teams, I mean, that that unit just continues to deliver, too. They've been as consistent as they come. I mean, I know Tory Taylor went through a little bit of a rough stretch, but outside of that, like... He was outstanding been, yesterday, given the positions yeah. he was put in, too. Oh, yeah, especially with the wind and everything. Like, yeah. it's incredible. And... By the way, people are confused about why Kirk called a timeout on the first attempt for Drew Stevens. Just I thought he cleared up. I believe Kirk didn't get his, the details of it, but he I, I think he called a timeout, Sean, because he saw 12 men on the field. And he was trying to avoid the penalty and called the timeout before the play got off so it wouldn't be a 12-man on the field penalty, which wouldn't have been the end of the world because, I mean, a 21-yard field goal is almost too close, you know, because you have to be perfect. You have to hit the right angle on that. But that's why he threw that. And like I said, the, the way this team just continues to come up, Sean, like it doesn't excuse the offense. The criticism from earlier this season is still completely warranted. And but I also hope at the same time you mentioned it and your Minnesota buddy mentioned it. You have to be able to take everything for what it is. You can be critical of the offense, but understand they have improved, especially in being opportunistic over the past month. But you can't let that cloud your judgment over the entire team because this Iowa defense is going to go down as one of the best in school history, rightfully so. The special teams unit has been unbelievably consistent, unbelievably consistent under LeVar Woods. I mean, there's a lot of good about this football team other than a bad offense. And at times, offense, obviously, in an era of, like you said, sexy numbers, highlight real plays. Like, Iowa still finds a way to win games. Now it's going to be tested again on Friday against Nebraska. I don't think Nebraska is going to roll over and die. I still think Nebraska has some talent on that football team. I think Casey Thompson's a really, really good quarterback. But, you know, the, the way Iowa, I think, is stuck together, Sean, is the big takeaway about this team. I wrote about my postgame column because I think there's a lot of teams that could have just completely scrapped in the season, but it really felt like there's no at least public finger 
pointing. There was no shaming. And, you know, even Jack Campbell, when he was talking about his turnover, Sean, this is something that we haven't even brought up. Riley Moss made a great play on the ball that led to that interception. He made a heck of a play, but everybody's talking about Jack Campbell again, rightfully so. But that's just the way this Iowa team's built. And, again, they they found a way. I don't know how, but they found it. Yeah, I mean, Minnesota fans are probably kicking the air when they saw that Riley Moss was the one to deflect that because, I mean, he's been the yeah. Achilles heel for this Minnesota team when they play Iowa going back to his true freshman year. But, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy to see the position that they're in now. Going When you look back to that Ohio State game, I mean, like you said, Nebraska's not going to roll over and die. I know – I mean, they played Wisconsin pretty tight last week, and that was a really important game for Wisconsin to get bowl eligibility. So, you know, they're I, – I mean, they'd love nothing more than to knock off Iowa. I mean, especially with how close they've been the last four years with beating – I mean, all games decided by seven or less points and, you know, could have gone either way at some points in the game. Like, Nebraska would love nothing more than to come inside Kinnick and just ruin Iowa's chances of that Big Ten West title. No doubt in my mind. And, I'll, and so, I'll say this too, Sean, like for, for the Nebraska fan base, I mean, obviously I have close ties with the university and I, I have a lot of good friends. They might disagree with me, but I'm telling you for a fact, there's no team that Nebraska wants to beat more in the Big Ten than Iowa mm-hmm. right now. They, they want that game. And like you said, they would absolutely thrive off ruining Iowa's chance to go to, back to a Big Ten title, even though they don't, they aren't playing for a bowl game or anything. So be a lot of storylines throughout the week, but I, I, I guess the bottom line for me is, Sean, we can still be critical of the offense. People should be. I think it's irresponsible to bring up old tweets when you're criticizing Iowa or something like that because a lot of it's been warranted. But at the same time, you have to give Iowa credit for finding a way, bouncing back, sticking together, and rattling off four straight wins. And there's 14 straight November wins. I mean, it's that's a really, really insane stat, I think, for, for Kirk Ferentz. And I think it's a testament to – Again, the culture he's built, and you know it. Yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. More to say, Sean. It's, I, I, I honestly cannot believe we're we're in this situation right now that we're in covering this Iowa team because they just, it's so unconventional. But the unconventional becomes ordinary, in just the amount of ways that Iowa finds to win games. They, they frankly should not be winning. Yeah. No. Definitely. And. You know, it just kind of goes to show with that November stat, too, just how much better these team get. This, this team and this program thrives off of getting better later on in the season, and that's what they've been able to do. And, you know, you can't – got to credit them for that. No doubt. So, we'll have, we have all our post-game coverage of HawkeyeInsider.com. It will be a very, very busy short week for us, Sean, Thanksgiving, obviously. Uh, we'll have our podcast up. We'll have plenty more coming at HawkeyeInsider.com, so be sure to stay tuned to that. Uh, follow us on Twitter at David Eichel, at SBOC247, and at Hawkeyes on 247. And also be on the lookout for a big, big, big sale to Hawkeye Insider coming later this week. We'll share you the details on that soon, so be sure to stay tuned for the site for that. And uh, I'll talk to you in a few days.
Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.